Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. All right, we're back again, and we welcome you to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2, just down from the airport. It's been nice. I've been there twice now to see No Time to Die. Um, It's been good seeing people coming back. If you're still not fully there, stop by, though. Get your concessions. That's a big help to the Bemidji Theater. Uh, That's a big help to any movie theater located on Highway 2 just down from the airport. We love the Bemidji Theater. We love having them as the sponsor of the podcast. And it's great seeing people back at the movies. But again, if you are not quite at that point yet, you can keep on supporting them by purchasing concessions, getting popcorn, getting soda, uh, getting your candy, whatever you'd like, getting your icy. Um, You can get it there from the Bemidji Theater and keep on supporting them. But hey, I tell you what though, Dave, looking at the box office numbers, things are are going pretty solid. I think solid is the word. Um, It's it's obviously not what it was pre-pandemic, but... Things are solid, you know. Dune just came out. Numbers were numbers were decent here Very for their good. opening weekend. Yeah, they they did all right, um, and that was with having streaming as well uh, alongside of the release. So good seeing that the numbers have been what they've been. Yeah, that that is a good thing. And uh, even talking about what you were saying, go see a movie or get a snack. I just saw uh, the day it opened. I saw Halloween Kills. Died at the theater, and I'm almost there, but not quite there yet. Uh, but I swung by and picked up my snacks and goodies and an icy, and then came home and watched uh, Halloween Kills on Peacock, and it was kind of a fun experience. But I'm I, when the numbers start dropping down and the audience starts disappearing for Bond, I will probably go at some point in November um, when when I see an empty parking lot. Good night to go see Bond. Yeah, that sounds like a great night to go see it. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you've got the plan in your mind about how that's all going to play out and what you've got to do to be able to do that. And I'm sure you can't wait. And I can't wait to talk about it with you. <laughs> you saw it twice, huh? Yeah, I've, I've seen it twice. Okay. And I liked it even more going a second time. That's a good sign. Yeah. From Hoove, that's a good sign. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I, I did. Um, it's not quite at Skyfall Spectre level, or Skyfall um, Casino Royale level for me, but it's close. It's okay. close. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's still some thin air up there, and they got twenty five Bond movies now, so that's that's not bad. All right, so um, we begin today. We're going to get into our topic, which is a, a pretty fun, lighthearted topic today. In a well, little we'll start bit, a little heavy. We are starting a bit heavy, yes, and that is that is of course the news that I'm sure many out there have heard by now. Um, th- this was a a real surprise when I. Heard this making national headlines last week. I was just like, what? When I when I first heard it. And then once the details started getting a little bit more unveiled and unpacked. I mean, kind of a, a story of the times right now as far as the, the possible strike that, that could be happening in in the uh, entertainment world. And that, was, that, of course, is talking about the, uh, the tragedy on the set of Rust with um, the death of their, uh, their cinematographer, um, Helena Hutchins is that yep. is that how you say your first name? Yeah, and she was she was killed um, on the set of the movie by a prop gun that went off in the hands of Alec Baldwin, the actor. And 
injured the director as well, Joel Souza, um, who thankfully is doing all right. But um, just a really, really shocking story that that came from New Mexico was where they were filming this. Um, and, and so many details that are still getting unpacked from this, Dave, and still getting sorted out from how this happened to what went on on the set of the movie, a lot of things being revealed. Yeah, this is a real tragedy, and that it's becoming more and more apparent as more information is coming out, and almost by the day you find out something else that's new, so to draw any absolute conclusions to the specifics is probably a little preliminary. However, it does sound like maybe using the word accident is not the most appropriate word, maybe accident waiting to happen, uh, but negligence, absolute negligence. There is a lot of safety guards in place on a set that just about every single one of those was just blown through, including a lot of reports that that very same gun was used for actual target practice offset. What? You know, if, if you're a prop master you're, or the armor they call it on the set when you've got uh, firearms, you don't have live ammunition on the set at all. You know, and all those dummy bullets, there's a scene apparently where he loads the gun. So you have to have something that look like bullets and blanks won't cut it. It's got to look like it. But all of those, if you shake those bullets, you can hear little BBs where there should be black powder rattling around. None of that happened. There were none, no dummy bullets. There was live ammunition. It was real easy to make a mistake. Nobody clearly checked it. They handed it to him. And one of the other reports is that he was going to draw this gun and he was practicing it. And that's when it went off. And of course, you're doing it, aiming it at the camera. Well, who's behind the camera? You know, you either got a camera operator or the cinematographer operating the camera. So there's somebody in the line of fire. You better be darn sure. And every precaution, it sounds like, that should be in place, not even thought of. And a lot of prior instances where there was talk about people going to walk off the set. The assistant director that handed the gun to Alec Baldwin had been fired from his last movie for negligence on things like this. It sounds like all these things that are supposed to be in place not one of them was adhered to. This was an inevitability. And it summarizes a bit of what is currently possibly on the table as being a, the basis for a strike among those who work on the set of movies and the many thousands and thousands of people who could be walking off if there is a strike that is had over working conditions, over payment, all of those different factors, and you see some of those things trickle into a story like this. Yeah. And it's no wonder, then, that these people are are seeking better compensation or seeking better pay or seeking better, better amenities to go with the work that they're doing because we're seeing some of those very factors play a part, maybe not necessarily everything, but a very significant part in how this all took place. Um, in addition to just simple negligence that took place with all of this. And you have one guy who's now at the center of all this, Alec Baldwin, because he's the name that we know that's associated with this. And yet the ripple effects of all this as far as how did this even take place seem like they go well beyond just Alec Baldwin. Yeah, there's truth to that. And the one thing I haven't heard anything about, not only was he the lead actor on this show called Rust, uh, but he's also one of the producers. And producers, for those of you playing the movie home game, are essentially the people that make the movies. The director works for the producers. So this is a project that got up and running and is run by the producers. So Alec Baldwin, just because he's a producer, is to some degree 
responsible for this. To say nothing about the fact that he was holding the gun when it went off, that's almost, for this point, irrelevant. Uh, so we've got to talk about budget issues. Well, it was such a low-budget movie, so corners are cut. So we're hiring people that have got issues in their past as far as the, 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 the firearms wrangler and the assistant director that had both had prior complaints, and a lot of them, against both of them on previous movies. Now we're going to bring them in. We're going to have things. We're going to do target practice with these very same guns. And at some point, it got to come down to the producers. Well, what kind of a set are you running here? How come we had people about ready to walk off the set because of issues with safety that are going to include you on set holding a, a weapon that could be unsafe? These are questions I haven't heard brought up yet. You know, you go back to something similar like with The Crow and that happened. And that's the one you hear a lot about when the Brandon Lee was shot and killed with a with a prop gun that was completely mishandled. Uh, you have a completely different situation here, but it sounds like where you had blanks that shot a projectile down the barrel in the situation with the crow, this sounds like it might've just been live ammunition, like actual bullets left over from an on set shooting range where they were shooting live rounds and just put the gun down. Someone picked it up and yeah, it's fine. Didn't check. Didn't make sure that those loads were, you know, not eh, everything about this went bad. This is going to be a culpability issue and where you're talking about safe working conditions. If there weren't and the lack of budget prevented that, that's not good enough. You have to have basic necessities, right? You don't think about a floor being a basic workplace environment. You expect there to be a floor. You wouldn't expect to come in and rappel on ropes to get from one room to the other. You'd think a floor would be pretty basic. You know, well, there's got to be a floor. There's got to be basic safety on a set, particularly where you got firearms. But if, well, we can't really because of budget. No, you either got full safety measures or I'm not going to be anywhere near this picture. These are questions that I haven't heard brought up yet. Not really. I mean, this is this is a pretty rare incident. It feels like it's a pretty rare it incident. But it, it speaks to larger problems, I suppose, that, that have cropped up on movie sets in recent years where... You do question the working conditions. You question how much the people involved are getting pushed when it comes to all all that goes into making some of these pictures. And maybe it's not necessarily a, a firearms thing. like Because, I, again, the, from what I've heard from interviews that people have done, this is, this is an extremely rare thing, especially for a film made in America, to have this come up because there are a lot of precautions that have been put in place should be put in place. or should be put in place. Yes. But perhaps it speaks to a larger point of what precautions are being overlooked these days when it comes to expediting filmmaking or how it's all getting put together. It's, it's putting the microscope under a lot of things that maybe, maybe needed the microscope put under them. If, if they haven't gotten as much attention as, as perhaps safety in use of dangerous weapons and things like that. Sure. We talk about, and I think you kind of said it, there needs to be precautions in place. There are. There are on every set. Are they adhered to? There are different questions to be asked. You're supposed to do it this way and then this way. You don't do this, but you do do that. But then you actually have to follow those guidelines. And when you don't, then you have a problem. For example, and I could go down the list here and we could make this a very drawn out process, but I'll give you one example. When you're going to have firearms on a set, Real, dummy, firing, whatever. You've got a prop master. You've got an armor that it depends on who's going to be doing the work here. 
they pull these things out. They have their table set up, their cart set up, whatever you want to call it, within view of them at all times, no matter where they go. And when they set these things up, they don't leave that table. You're watching them like a lifeguard watching kids in the pool. That's it. You don't get to go take a phone call. You don't walk away. You don't barely blink. You're just watching. And when it comes time to hand off a weapon to whoever, the assistant director or the prop master or whatever, then certain guidelines are adhered to. Okay, this has been checked. You can listen to each round. You can hear the BB shake so you know it's not a real round because no regular bullet when you shake it's going to make a little jingly sound, you know. None of that happens. You inspect each and every one of those. You push a ramrod through the barrel to make sure there's nothing stuck in the barrel that could get dislodged like what happened with the crow. It's even got an orange tip on it. So when it comes out the end of the barrel, you can see the orange tip has come all the way through. None of that happened. And so basically these guns are sitting on a cart. Somebody walked over to this unmanned cart, grabbed a gun. It's cold. Did they check it? You know, clearly no, because this happened. So if you're going to load rounds and then you're going to shoot rounds, but they're dummy rounds or they're blanks or whatever they are, you need to know what's in there, know that they are what they're supposed to be, but they handed him and called it a cold gun, which means it's been checked, it's cleared, it's unloaded, when clearly it was not. So there was no inspection at all. There was no prop master there. There was no gun wrangler there. There was no armor there. And if they were there, they walked away and they certainly didn't do their job. And they'd already had complaints against them from previous shots, including the assistant director, where whether whatever guidelines are in place were not adhered to, not even barely thought of. So, I, you know, for somebody that does a fair amount of shooting myself, the one of the first things I've ever done before you pick up a gun, you say it to your own self or you say it to somebody that you're shooting with, the instant you disrespect this, you kill somebody. That's exactly what happened. And it can be the case even if you're not the one using the oh, firearm. Yeah. So... Pretty sad uh, overall, the the entire scope of this this story and still much more that they are doing in terms of investigating and trying to figure out. But uh, the details that have been uncovered, um, at least so far, pretty revealing about just the nature of how this all came about and how this took place. Well, we're so. talking, you know, the larger issue about the strike and working conditions and being worked to death and working 14-hour days and you need to be back on set and you go home at 6 in the morning after working a 14-hour day and and things become decreasingly safe. Well, things like this, this is a component of that. Well, we've got firearms on the set that are not being adhered to as far as safety guidelines go. And now we've got them going off and they shouldn't even be loaded. They're not even being checked, but they're being handed to the cast. It's a fine. You're fine. No problem. It's a fully loaded gun. And you just, you take for granted what the guy tells you. And as an actor, it's not your job to open and check what's already been checked, quote unquote. It's cold gun. You're fine. Then you should be safe to do what you need to do as an actor. And when you find out the hard way that, whoops, you know, I feel bad for Alec Baldwin from the perspective of him being handed a lethal weapon being told by a quote-unquote expert, it's safe to go, it's a dummy gun, it's a whatever, as far as he knows, Cold it's an gun. airsoft. Yeah. You know, it's a BB gun, as far as he knows. Go ahead and do what you need to do, and apparently he was practicing pulling it out of his holster, like a draw or whatever, and it went off. Yep. And, you know, that sh- it should be a rubber gun or something, but... Yeah, that's uh, yeah. There's there'll be some come around on this. This is going to absolutely feed the fire as far as negotiations for a safe, set working environment for any potential strike. So we'll see what happens. No but doubt this is about just it. Truly tragic. Yeah. 
All right, Dave. Um, there's no easy way to transition out of a story like that. This will be a hard left, yeah. Into a little bit more of a lighter topic today, but that's that's what we're doing as we as we move into discussion on on a on characters in movies, which we have done before. We're we're going a little bit of a different direction with it today, though. Um, this this may very well involve a lot of villains. Um, that we talk about today. By the way, there will be spoilers more than likely um, that we will have today as far as various movies and characters within those movies that we bring up today. So be aware of that. There will be some spoilers that we will get into as there usually are when we chat. Um, But when it comes to characters in movies, sometimes there are characters who it's easy to root for. It's easy to get behind them for various reasons. They are just very likable. Then there are those characters who are very easy to hate. And we've talked about villains before. Some of the most notable villains from movies that that we've liked and appreciated. Sometimes with those villains, there's a certain charm to them. Or something that kind of makes you laugh. Like Shooter McGavin comes to mind for me. You know, yeah, (laughs) he is definitely a villain. But he can't help but kind of chuckle at the guy or laugh at the guy a little bit too. Just with the way he is. But then there are those movie characters... Very commonly villains, but sometimes even protagonists who just make you shake your head or they make you they make you clench up in anger because you just dislike them so much. They're the very dislikable movie character. Dave, I'm sure you like I brought this up to you yesterday and you said immediately you had a galaxy full of them coming to your mind. Popping up like pop up videos. All exactly. these little thoughts were coming up yeah. around my, oh, that guy, oh, this, oh I, oh, I hate you too. It was just one of those. I just watched one for the first time just the other day. For the first time? For the first time. And as the movie's going on, I even said to my wife, I hate this character. I hate to call out that it's a little kid, but I hate this little kid in this movie because they're just making me mad. We just saw A Quiet Place Part 2. Oh, boy. Have you seen those movies at all? I've seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one. Okay, good movie. Liked it. But so they've got, for those of you playing the home game, this is about sort of a post-apocalyptic world where these aliens have invaded Earth and they've got hearing like you never heard before, pun intended. They could hear a frog (laughs) fart in the wind. I mean, that's the kind of aliens they are and that's what attracts them to you. So if you make a noise, anything, you step on a stick, that's all it takes. They know right where you are and boom, they come and they get you. So that's why it's a quiet place. You can't make noise or they'll come find you, get you, kill you, eat you. So now you've got the son in this movie, and he takes every opportunity to make noise at every chance he gets in this sequel. And, you know, in the first movie, his younger brother, spoiler alerts we did mention, gets killed early because there's a couple of these kids that are deaf. They can't hear sound. So when his toy starts making noise, he doesn't know it. The animals get it. They get this kid, and they kill him early in the first movie. So you'd think he'd know better. When he gets hurt, when he gets injured, he steps in a bear trap and the thing clamps down. Now, I would imagine that would be pretty darn loud. And I've seen instances where something comes down on you like that and you got to be quiet. It's made as like a comedy. But on this kid, in the middle of where all these animals are, ah, 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 I mean, what are you thinking? I know it hurts. It really, really hurts. I get it. But well, this a bear is a bear trap, though. This is a bear trap. I get it. But. You know what's going to happen. You know, you find it within yourself to bite your tongue, even if it's literal, and stop that. But it's not like it happens once in the movie, like, 
you can't afford to do that because otherwise this whole family, I understand mom. And then he does it again later, finding any excuse to not advance anything positive, but just to cause a problem. His job as written is to create anxiety within the script. And I, especially anxiety for anxiety's sake, I don't like being with dramatic people in real life, let alone you know in a movie, yeah. drama just for the yeah. sake of drama. No. Now, if you need to go do something and it's integral to the plot, but it's a high risk, but you got to do it, well, there's your anxiety right there. That's a whole other thing. I think I'm going to go and leave this safety protective area and I'm going to go into this other room. Why? No reason. Why are you, why are you taking that risk? You're going to put everything at risk and you're screwing up here and you're screwing up. I hate that. And so the, the manufactured son, drama. Yeah. The son in A Quiet Place 2, apparently he wasn't such a pain in the butt in the first one. But something, eh, make him stupid in the second one. And that kind of ties in just real quick to a lot of those anxiety movies, horror movies especially, where the people do the stupid things. Yes. And that there would be no plot at all if there weren't stupid people. Reminds me of that Geico commercial that yeah, talks about that exactly a little bit. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. If they were, the cemetery! Oh, yeah. If they were intelligent people Let's be high, I'd be all. on these chainsaws rather than get in the moving car. It'd be, it would be a 30-second commercial, is all it would be. Are Correct. you crazy? No, don't go behind the chainsaws. Get in the car, let's go. Good idea, everybody. End credits. The movie just started, but if it was smart people, there would be no movie. I can't find my earring. Let me go out into the haunted forest and look for it in the dark. Which I feel stupid to say because I've had to look for earrings in the woods in the dark before. So who am I to say? You know what's funny? These things have not stopped you from still loving watching horror movies. Yeah. Even though, although it does help you separate the good ones from the not so good ones. Yeah. A little bit more. There's yes. truth to that. There is. Um, boy, I, I can think of many characters who, who come to mind as far as just they. It, it's easy to think of villains. But it is it is possible to think of protagonists. Too. Or even even those gray area kind of characters who kind of sit in the middle a little bit. Sometimes you can even associate it with with like an actor. Somebody who, who plays the role in such a way that you just you can't help but not like them because Don't they're you so dare smarmy. Pick Ford. Um, like, for instance, uh, Tim Curry. Characters played by <laughs> Tim Curry come to mind as... You just don't like them because of his face no. and the the looks that he gives you. Like I think of Home Alone too, and that's just one example. I mean, when whenever he plays a role, I mean he just the character that he plays. You just you can't help but dislike because clearly you've never seen Clue. Well, I have seen Clue. <laughs> yeah, and again, an, another great example right there of like man the the looks that he gives the faces or um. When you've got that kind of look, um, it, it's very easy to dislike the characters that he plays because there's just something, there, there's just mischief or, a, I don't know if sinister is maybe a little bit too strong in his case. I think I would reserve that to, uh, for others like William Defoe, any character played by him. You would say, yeah, there's something sinister about this character or at least I'm led to believe that there is. But yeah, Tim Curry comes to mind, at least as far as, People who play these roles, not even specific roles themselves, but even sometimes just the actor who plays them is like, you just don't like this person initially because of everything that I know about this person previously. How dare you? Tim Curry is a treasure. He is. I mean, he's good. <laughs> he's really good. But you know what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah. No, I, I, th I think it works for his characters, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy or whatever. 
it, it works. I mean, I think it's put on best display in Home Alone too, where he's the bell clerk just waiting to nail Macaulay Culkin. But that's what he's so good at, and he's such a good comedic actor. And you can just tell there's something behind the eyes, like Robin Williams in Insomnia or One Hour Photo. Oh. He's so manic in life, and then you see him in a very reserved character, and you know something's waiting to burst out because it's Robin Williams. He's not that subdued. So with Tim Curry, I, I got I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes I feel guilty about some of the characters or actors that I don't like. I'll give you a great example. Who doesn't love The Princess Bride? Prince, I love that movie and the Dread Pirate Wesley, you know, Roberts is he's such a great character and you're just waiting for him to get his comeuppance. So when you get that same actor in another role, and I love him as Wesley, but I'll tell you right now, and all of a sudden I'm having a brain fart, I can see his face and I can't say his name. Oh, who plays who plays Wesley? I could see his face. I can I can see his name, and I can't even say it. Uh, liar, liar, and but the one I'm getting to, I, I, it'll come to me. I know his name. I could see it. Um, in the movie Saw, he's one of the guys that is shackled in the bathroom where this whole movie is unfolding, and he is trying to escape. Can we hack these manacles off and all this? But the way he does the role takes me right out of the movie. And I like him as an actor. I really do. And I'm still having a brain fart what his name is. Do you want me to give tell, it away? Tell him to me, yeah. Carrie Elwes. Carrie Elwes, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, there we go. So, I'm so sorry, Carrie. I, I love all the roles <laughs> that he's in. but so, And maybe it's this. He does have a peculiar accent because he's American, but he spent a lot of his youth in England. So he's kind of got like a sort of faux. It worked well in Princess Bride because he's supposed to be English and he nailed it. And he's got a bit of a smarmy look to him a little bit. He might, I suppose, but I've seen him in other movies where it's not as pronounced as this. Like Liar Liar, he's supposed to be kind of a doofus because he's the doofus, you know, whatever. But in this movie, it's you're supposed to take it seriously. But he's got this almost like when Madonna had a like a fake English accent when she was married to Guy Ritchie. It's like she wanted to be, you know, stately countryside madam of the house kind of thing. It didn't really work for her. It's Madonna. It's the same thing with yeah. Carrie Elwes, where you either have an English accent or don't have one. You know, Mel Gibson could pull it off in a way with a little faux Australian accent. But with the, with Carrie Elwes in this role, it just took me out of the movie over and over and over. Anytime he had a line, I was out. And that's bad. And I, I no, nothing wrong against Carrie Elwes, but that role was horrific. Poorly done. I'm really sorry. I don't want to bring it up. Who doesn't love <laughs> the Dread Pirate Roberts? But in that movie, right? Ugh. Yeah. So it, it's not even just reserved to the actors who play these people. Sometimes these people can play their like this. We're not even necessarily going after the actors today, although in some cases I think you could as far as the reasoning why we don't like the character because maybe they're just very poorly played or the character is very poorly written or things like that. Many times, though, it is it is who they become within the course of the movie. Take, for example, Titanic. Do you, do you know who I'm going for here? I can think of a couple of different ways you're going, Well, actually. you probably could. I'm going to go for Cal, though. Yeah. Yeah, Billy Zane's character, Isn't he Cal. is he built to be hated, though? He is, and that's what makes him perfect as far as he's a perfect character to hate. I mean, for so many different reasons, for controlling Rose and her life and, and conspiring with mm-hmm. her mother to do that very thing, and... Then Cal, when everything goes bad and the ship is going down, 
All he's thinking of is himself. I have a child! And then there he is. Who he just abducted off the deck of the boat. That's right. Don't even know the name of the child. Swipe. I've got a child! It is shocking. It is appalling in so many ways. And yet it is perfect for a character so loathsome. Like, when you look at any list of most loathsome movie characters who you just absolutely can't help but hate, his name comes up on just about every single list, Dave. And there are, it's it's perfectly understandable why. I mean, although Rose's mother also comes up on said lists, but not as frequently as Cal does, because this guy, this guy, you cannot help but disliking. Yeah, and there's something about the way Billy Zane plays that character. Oh, man. He's got chiseled good looks, which works well for that character. He's almost too perfect. And his manner of speaking, there's a sort of a cosmopolitan accent that was big back then. A lot of movie stars would do it. You couldn't really place where it was from. It just like upper class, you know, oh, Dithams, why don't you turn down the bed, please? Not quite an English accent, not quite a New York accent, but kind (laughs) of, it actually had a name, cosmopolitan accent. It didn't come from anywhere. It was just for the performance. Well, he's got that, and it works so well. Yeah, so he's got that perfect voice over the top, and he's got the chiseled good looks, and he's such an ass. So it, it just works so well. Yeah, there's he was designed to be hated, and he nailed it. I, I'll tell you another great example is kind of a lesser-known role from a lesser-known actor that just, I, I can't stand the actor just because of one particular role. In the movie Sleeping with the Enemy, it's a Julia Roberts movie from the early 90s about an abusive relationship, and she escapes her husband and starts yep. a whole new life. He tracks her down and stalks her down. So the actor of this abusive husband is an Irish actor named David Bergen, or uh, Patrick Bergen, I'm sorry. Patrick Bergen is an Irish actor. The only other movie I really know him from at all is he plays one of the terrorists in the Patriot Games movie with Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan movie, and that's like it. The only things I've ever seen him in. So Patrick Bergen plays this abusive husband where he's charming. He's a lot like Billy Zane in a way. He's very charming and he's sophisticated, but he's clearly, you know, he's just a dingus. And then she escapes, and then he goes completely unhinged. And then what he could do with his eyes. And he became to a point where I'm sure in real life, Patrick Bergen's a heck of a nice guy. I'm sure he's kind to his parents. He dances with his wife. He gives to charities. I'm sure he even bakes extra food for the Thanksgiving holiday and shares it with the needy. But after that movie, I would run him over with my car if I saw him rocking down my street because you don't know what he's up to. With that kind of mischief. He was so evil in that movie that I can't stand him in anything. I don't care if they cast him as the person who cures cancer. I will still, in, a, in, a, in some movie, I hate that guy. Just because of that one role, he did it so well. Nobody can look at Anthony Hopkins and not think Hannibal Lecter for the same reason. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, the same thing with Anthony Perkins. You can't look at Anthony Perkins and think of that menacing look that he gives yeah. as being uh Norman Bates from Psycho. I mean that that smile, that twisted smile of his as he's just peering at you and into your soul. Um same thing when you take sometimes when you can take an actor who's played certain roles before and twist them into something else like we talked about that during the the villains episode when when we discussed Henry Fonda being in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West and the way that he became the villain there. Same thing with Robert Mitchum in Cape Fear, because we, we talked about that there. I mean, him playing Max Cady, he is he is intimidating. He is scary. Like, it is it is kind of frightening with oh, yeah. a guy who you typically know as being the protagonist in so many other movies. And now here he is 
somewhat laconic, but then he becomes like just this monster in in this movie, and and it it kind of stays seared in your brain a little bit, just like how much of a a bad dude he really becomes in here. So going against type in in such a way like that, it can really stick in your mind and even change the way that you see an actor a little bit. Now I see you know some of the Robert Mitchum movies that he did, like with Jane Russell and other other ones where he's the protagonist, and it's like. All right, I know this a little bit more coming in, but you still think Max Cady in the back of your mind a little bit. It's the same same character, different role with Robert De Niro doing Max Cady in the 91 remake of King yeah. Fear with Martin Scorsese. De Niro in most of his roles has sort of a dryness to him, not always, but you will look at him and say, meet the parents. You know, he's, he's kind of, I have nipples, Greg, could you milk me? And then you watch him in, as Max Cady, and you're just weirded out. It's almost like it's a different version of his role from Taxi Driver, where he's absolutely unhinged. And even when you watch him in these great roles, like whether it's The Godfather Part Two or whether it's Casino, great performance, great role, but he's kind of on the dry side. And then you see this all absolutely unhinged performance where it really makes you unsettled, and anything you see after that almost has new life. It's like rewatching the usual suspects once you know what the twist is. And then you're watching that particular character all the way through the movie real close to see what kind of tip-offs. And of course, now your mind's eye sees tip-offs everywhere, whether they were really meant to be there or not meant to be there. It's what your mind's eye sees. Yeah. yeah. Any others coming to mind? Yeah. Uh, there are some where I hate to put, I hate to pick on the kids again, but there are some oh, where boy. the kid actors, I want you to be the cutest, most adorable, most sickeningly sweet child on screen ever. And you get the, mommy, can I get it? Especially in moments of tension when you're tense and then there's this real soft thing. There's one actor in particular, and I, I don't want to pick on him. I don't want to pick on him, so I won't say the name of the actor because he's grown now. He's actually not that much older than I am or younger than I am, probably about 10 years younger than me. But he had a good career as a child actor, and there is overly sweet and cute little chubby cheeks, and it's just it's just too sweet. Kids don't act like that all the time. It's just It was so over-the-top artificial sweet. I think he was a kid that just happened to be kind of small anyway, so he was probably a little older than he looked on screen trying to act a little younger, so maybe that's why it came across slightly artificial. But uh, I don't want to say the name of the actor. I'm not going to okay. hurt him. And not when it comes to kids, I won't. But All right. uh, when Willem Dafoe or you know Robert Mitchum or whoever come up, yeah, we can call him out. Well, but I'm not going to say the name of the kid. It's easy to... Let, let's move... Let's switch gears here a little bit. It's easy to talk antagonists, and we'll get back to that because I've got a few that, that definitely come to mind. What about protagonists, Dave? What about people you're supposed to like or supposed to get behind, who you just can't, or or even the comedic relief characters who you're supposed to get behind, but you just can't do it because of the, the manner in which they do what they do. Would it be too easy, would it be a cheat if I brought up Jar Jar Binks? No, it's not too easy, it's <laughs> obvious, and it's totally fine to bring it up. I was going to if you weren't going to. I feel bad for Ahmed Best, who played that yeah, role. Apolo- I really do. With greatest of apologies to Ahmed Best, listen, Jar Jar Binks was just horribly set up and, and written. It's not your fault. Yeah, and and, the, and while we're at that, might as well say the same to Jake Lloyd. Just the, you know, yes, apologies to Jake Lloyd as well. Neither one of those actors did anything against what they were told to do. Look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do your job as an actor to deliver. George. This was horrible uh. writing, George. 
these were bad performances because they weren't really given much positive direction, George. It falls on him ultimately. Apologies to Hayden Christensen as well. Yeah. Although we have apologized to Hayden before because, yeah, yeah I mean, this I'm glad he's coming got back. barely a career. He's, he's coming back to Star Wars now for the Ahsoka series, and good for him. Uh, and Obi-Wan. He, and Obi-Wan, yeah. but he, he needs to. He's got nothing else, and I don't think he's that bad. He just happened to step into it. Plus, apparently, he liked working on Star Wars as well. So, you know, which, I don't think anybody on that that also did poor jobs it's not because they're not a good actor. I mean, Terrence Stamp did a bad job in The Phantom Menace. He's a great actor, but apparently putting him in a room that's all blue, here's a little mark on the wall. Look at that mark. That's so-and-so. You're not going to act with anybody, so go. Yeah, I mean, well, he was set up. The term set up for failure comes to mind. It's Terrence Stamp. Like, it's, it's kind of a shame. It, yeah. Yeah. So with Ahmed Best, it's nothing that he did. It's not the actor. It really isn't. In fact, it's I think character. he did a great job. I it's think Jar Jar Binks. It's Jar Jar Binks. It's the character. It's what's on the page. It just doesn't fit with anything else. It's just off. Everything about it is off. And uh, it's it's comedic where there doesn't need to be. And even C-3PO becomes a victim of this, more so in the Attack of the Clones episode yeah, two. Yeah. They have to give comedic lines. Well, let's give them to a beloved character, which maybe loves C-3PO much less because he's just trying to crack wise all the time and say something snappy and funny when it, it just does not call for it. Yeah. And that was what Jar Jar was. So Jar Jar basically gets written into background extra by the time the prequel sequels are over. And uh, C-3PO was starting to go that route also. It just it got stupid. That's Star right. Star Wars can be fun when it's cheeky, but not too cheeky. You know, it's just, it was trying so hard to sell Jar Jar teddy bears. Too cheeky is not cheeky anymore, No, I would say. No, no. Another protagonist who continues to come up on lists that I've seen, and I have only seen one of those movies, and I only watched it because there was a hilarious parody um, commentary that was going on running over top of it. Bella Swan from the Twilight movies. I can't comment because I never saw any one of them ever. And I, again, the only time I watched Twilight was when there was a, a, a running commentary, a gag commentary running over it, which was hysterical. So it actually made the movie a little bit easier to watch, a little bit. Um, Bella Swan, from everything that I've read and from what I've seen there, is the kind of character, the kind of protagonist you just can't get behind because they are not decisive and... The decisions they do make only cause problems, and that is all that she does. Like, getting herself torn between two guys only succeeds in creating more problems for everybody associated with those guys, and she can't make her mind up, and and all she does is create issues, Uh, and, and she's not very decisive when it comes down to it as well. So, not a very easy protagonist to get behind in that regard, and it's just so middle of the road. Kristen Stewart's work has been good in other things. I mean, Spencer is coming out here pretty soon, which apparently she's very, very good in. But, boy, that that character just ugh, did yeah. not work. She's a very good actress. The first thing I ever saw her in was Panic Room with Jodie Foster. She did a great role. She did a fantastic job. Just something about this. I felt like it was just shoved down people's... And I can't comment on the movie specifically because I never saw ever, ever any one of them, but they were so rammed down people's throat. It was trying to be the next Harry Potter Teenagers sort of thing. didn't care. 
No. Teenagers didn't care? Well, I can't say that because there were plenty of teenagers screaming anytime she and Robert Pattinson came out. By the way, just on the side, there's a push now to make the next Batman movie with Robert Pattinson feature the Joker starring Kristen Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) And she actually commented on it. She was like, well, I I don't know, but... That would be kind of fun. Oh, that's funny. Natural animosity, offset, onset. It would be interesting. No, what I'm saying is people <laughs> didn't care about her protagonist being a very weak yeah. one that you can't get behind. They were more than happy to just enjoy the eye candy splendor of Twilight, which I just can't get behind. Here's another protagonist, Sam Witwicky from Transformers. Can you really yeah. can you really appreciate Sam Witwicky, or does he make you roll your eyes and shake your head more than, than actually... Like, yeah, go, Sam. Go get him. Like, all he does is spend his time running around yelling, no, 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 and doing a lot of stuff pretty much for himself along the way, too, or or complaining along the way, most of the way. My perspective on him is tainted. I liked those (laughs) movies when they first came out because who's this Shia LaBeouf? Now everyone knows Shia LaBeouf, and it's all been retrograded now to the point where I dislike him so much that it goes back in time. Performances I liked the first time, I don't like anymore. Like Holes? I, well, I saw that movie once, and I hated the movie. It was just a bad movie. And now right, anything so I see him in, you just like that. Anyway. Don't like. Yeah. I, I'm so turned off by Shia LaBeouf. Even if I watched him in a kindergarten school play, if I found myself back in time, boo. I think our listeners who listened to our last episode are fully aware of that by now, Dave. When I even brought up as a joke, Shia LaBeouf is the next James Bond, and you. You wanted to walk off the podcast. <laughs> that's that's a complete exaggeration. That's a complete exaggeration. But you you not only I mean, you didn't even fully laugh it off. You did initially. You were then like, that's so dumb. I, I don't banish the thought. Get rid of it. I think Shia LaBeouf as an actor does some good work. I, I, I won't deny it. But his offset, off scene just seems to be a dingbat. And it's to the point now, it just is crossed over to the point I can't watch stuff that I might have liked the first time just because it's the same thing, you know? Uh, and I'll give you another parallel of that. And I don't mean to knock the guy. I'm just, I'm sorry. There's something about what he does. And it's a character actor. You probably won't recognize the name. You probably will. Giovanni Rabisi is his name. He's, you I know, know the name. You yeah. know him in a lot of performances. He was in Saving Private Ryan. He was in, uh, now I'm having a brain fart. He was in a movie called Basic with John Travolta. He's in a book. You're pointing is at me. he the interpreter in Saving Private Ryan? Is that no? We, that's or? the that's a different guy. This is the uh, guy that um, he's not the sniper. I think he was the medic, is what it was. And oh, so, yes, yeah. that's Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah. So he's he's yeah. Every, whatever he does, he's got such an intensity to the to the role that just comes off as less than sincere. There's something about it. I, I can't even. It's like it's an X factor that I can't quite enunciate enough to describe enough to get it across. And I don't. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. I've got nothing against him, but enough of his roles have come up where he's just trying to chew the scenery in a way that, to my eyes and my ears, is not pleasing. It's not a normal take on a character. It's always to some degree of over the topness that just doesn't work for me. Well. It's funny because one of his first films, uh, actually his third one, was That Thing You Do. Yes. He, play, he plays Chad in there, and Chad gets hurt. Um, he, he's doing that stupid hop over the meter thing, and he breaks and he gets his arm. Re- gets replaced by arm. Spartacus. And then, yeah, he gets replaced by, by Spartacus, by Guy Patterson, and it changes the course of, 
of the entire movie then. So it's funny because, yeah, there, there he's in a very limited capacity in that movie, and it's a very funny one as well. So it, That's actually my favorite role of his because it's not grating. And the rest of them? So you don't like him in Friends, then? No. As Frank? No. There's always something about him, even in the movie Ted, you know, where he's got a fun, comedic, but sinister role, you know? It's just something about what he does where I'm going to take it to the ceiling, and then you're going to find room above the ceiling, and it just comes off as artificial. Well, let me ask you then, how do you feel about Michael Sarah? Because maybe Eh. he could be accused of doing the same thing a little bit. No, I think it's almost an extension of what it appears that he might be like in real life. I mean, he even plays that up in This is the End. Oh, my gosh. Where he just kind of goes and plays himself. But I think oh, it, that's word. limiting for his career now because he's older than you know that angst should look where he's just out of place. Which is sad. Like I, I like him in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. I, I think he, he plays the awkward role really well. And that's a protagonist, too. Maybe you can't really fully get behind because he's, but but that's how he's supposed to be. Yeah. So You're, he's and he plays it well. It's basically Michael Sarah performs and does a widget. Well, what's a widget? It, does, it doesn't matter, but that's what he does. He doesn't really do different versions. He just does a version of the widget, yeah. and that's the awkward. Can't really fit in, but you can't help but love him. You know that only will work to a certain age, and then you know you can't have adults playing little kids. It doesn't come across as real but that's where the whole giovanni rubisi thing comes in yeah he's trying to play big way bigger than he should and it just comes across as artificial and i can't go for it all right um let's get back into antagonists who, i got a good one for dislike. you oh yeah let's but you're it. you're supposed to hate him but i hate obviously because he's an antagonist but he's also written to be almost a sympathetic character but i can't get behind him and this is the reasons why are so nuanced and so layered. And we're going to Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, played by Christian Bale. You ever seen this movie? I am not. So I know the character you're talking about, though. It's yeah. set in the 80s. The movie came out in 2000, but it's set in the 80s. And he is the yuppie of yuppies. And he is so polished. Think like the Michael Douglas character in Wall Street, slick back hair. Oh, I've seen pictures. Turned yeah. up to 15. Oh, my gosh. This is Patrick Bateman, but he's a psychopath. And so he's got this need to murder. Now, I will say this. Christian Bale nails the role, does a great job. You don't hate Christian Bale because of what he's doing. But, you know, because you love him in other roles. But you hate the character. So the character is meant to be hated, and you've got this internal monologue that you can hear as he's narrating his life through these various scenes. And you can see him getting bent out of shape about things that just don't matter. And also what this guy does is truly sickening, so you're supposed to hate this character. Now, beyond even that, there's commentary about people like this really being out in the world, whether they're stomping puppies in an alley or whether they just happen to be you know, sociopathic in a business context, those people exist from the Harvey Weinsteins of the world and so forth. They exist. And I hate to say it in my days, I have run across one or two that I think are are very Bateman-esque. But here's the other thing that I can't escape from that has now bled into the source material. Patrick Bateman, the role, when Christian Bale was starting to research, how am I going to play this? This is based off of a book. And so he's got the book. He's, well, how do I do this? Christian Bale said he saw an interview on the David Letterman show with Tom Cruise, and he based the role off of Tom Cruise because he says, watching Tom Cruise, it's like (laughs) watching a shell of a human. I hate, I'm not trying to knock anybody. I'm just telling you what the man said. It says, watching Tom Cruise is like watching a shell of a human who's not quite human try to be human. 
It's a big, intense, friendly smile with nothing behind the eyes, nothing behind the smile, but a very intense, full friendship. And I know people that are like that. And he said that's exactly what he puts in. So watching the Patrick Bateman performance is almost like a hyper uh, imitation of Tom Cruise doing an interview in a lot of ways. Man. And in a way, he's not wrong. It's it's funny when you see some of that stuff. So you're seeing that, you're hearing that, so you don't like what the character's doing because the way the character's written. You don't like how evil the character is. You don't like how it's a commentary on actual people that are out there in yeah, business there are, situations. Yeah, there are people who and are And then like there's that. the Tom Cruise thing. Man. From, even before he was jumping on the couch. It's just, for so many levels- Boy. Not only do you not like him, you really don't like him. Some honesty there. Like, some harsh honesty. I don't think Tom Cruise has sent uh, Christian Bale a fruit basket for no, Christmas anytime I, recently. I can't think of them ever doing a movie <laughs> together. I think I know why now. To everybody, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We've talked about Tom Cruise. I'm on not this a hateful person, before. but that's kind of the topic of the day. I, I've got I've got four, Dave, that I'm going to go bang, 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 bang on here. Rapid fire me. All right. Um, first. You were talking about people who we've seen in other movies, and we just love them in other movies as as other characters. Rachel McAdams is one of those people. I love her. You turn her into a blonde, though, and put her at the top of the social food chain at a high school? (laughs) She becomes loathsome. Yeah. Regina George is so loathsome, and there's so much about her that is loathsome in Mean Girls. You just cannot get behind her, and she's so easy to dislike because she... She seems so upfront and charming, and yet, no, she will cut you off at the knees. Like, just brutal. A much funnier version of the movie Heathers. My gosh. <laughs> so so there, there's her. Um, on a much more serious note, and, and very sad note, too, Percy, the guard from the Green Mile. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So easy to dislike. I mean, just a... Just a a sadistic Human psychopath. Uh, just just an awful person. I mean, so incredibly loathsome in that movie, and, and so easy to to dislike with just the inhumane and terrible things that he does just for the sake of doing them. Awful, awful, awful character. I'm trying to remember who was the actor that played that part. He did it super well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, banish the thought of Percy. Let's move on. <laughs> um. The colonel or captain of the Dragoons, I, f- I forget which one it is, from The Patriot. Man, oh, you yeah. just want to punch that guy in the Jason face. Jason Isaacs, yeah. Oh, just just awful. And his face is part of it, too, like the looks that he gives. And you you just want to cut that ponytail off when he's shaving himself later on, too. Like, And just a murderer, a killer, and dis- has such disregard for... Or, for Direction and orders and all of those things, man, you you just want to punch that guy in the face over and over again for so many different reasons. And again, his face is part of it too. But I mean, hearing that come from you just makes it even more fun. (laughs) Just his face. He looks like the kind of guy that would take glee from farting in a crowded elevator. Just his face alone. Exactly. Um, But but the the guy I keep coming back to, and I, I brought him up in our villains episode. Commodus from Gladiator. Oh, yeah. oh man, what a what a sick, twisted individual! And Joaquin Phoenix plays him to perfection. I mean, I, I said he was one of the great movie villains ever. Um, he part of that is because he is so loathsome. He is so easy to hate. He he's just sick. 
He is twisted, and everything about him just reeks of corruption. Everything. Like, there is, there is no redeemable moment that I can think of in that movie from him. Like, a totally loathsome individual. Yeah, even, I don't know what they did, was a makeup or what, but even Joaquin Phoenix looks like he's got a fever or something through the whole movie. He looks slightly ill, like in real slightly life. Slightly unhinged. I don't like, mean unhinged, I mean like... Head tilt and... I mean like he was fighting the flu the whole movie is what it looks kind like. Kind of does, it, yeah. I can't... He looks he, like he's not even in this on this planet. Like, yeah, it looks like he's holding back a burp or vomit or something the whole movie, and he's got the, got that look to him, and he just looks ill. And I don't know how they pulled it off. I don't know if he... I don't know, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Absolutely unredeemable character. Yeah, yeah. Any more you want to throw out there with the time we have left? I, I know I've got, probably got one or two more that I could do, but I also know that we're on a time budget here this morning, so I know you've got to go head off and say hello to the queen. And Not quite, but anyway... <laughs> If, and crumpets at noon. If doing an interview with the football coach oh, before well, a game too. is interviewing the queen, I don't know. That's that's odd. So anyway. I don't want to go too far down the hateful route because that's kind of the theme of the show today. So I think we've bathed in the mud long enough, but sometimes there's characters that you don't like, but you can find something redeeming, even if it's the Burke character from Aliens or something about him because you wouldn't guess that he'd be the bad guy. But then he turns out and you can't wait for him to get eaten by an alien. So I, I get it. But hey, always look for the positive in people. But then again, there are those instances. Oh, that guy that guy's kind of easy to dislike too. In in aliens, yeah, he's he just is kind of a weasel. And anybody that we talk down about, Giovanni Rabisi, Tom Cruise, I'm so sorry. I, I'm certainly it's don't want to. It's your character. You played them really well. No, or, when it's Christian or, Bale wait, saying it's Tom Cruise in, on set and he's or off In most cases, character. it's your character who you played well. In other cases, well, it's yeah. just kind of the way that they play people. We don't yeah. mean to poop on your parade or anything, so all apologies where they are required. That's right. There go my Christmas opportunities. Any more you want to throw out there? No, though? we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Sure. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I, I, yeah, sometimes, like you said, sometimes it is kind of overacting or it's just the way the person is. Sometimes, though, like in a lot of these cases, it's them playing the role really, really well. And and they're doing such a good job that you come to really dislike. And I I'll bet that some of these these actors look back at the characters they played and they go, man, I hate that person. And it's them who's playing them. I I'm sure there have been cases like that before. Like I would love to talk to Rachel McAdams and be like, so tell us what you think of Regina George. How do you really feel about Regina George? It's funny when you see her in any other movie, like the movie Spotlight. She does a great job at one Best Picture. That's Regina George. This girl right here who is so you know caring. That's Regina George. Rip. Wow, what a polar opposite character. Yeah, it's interesting when you see those. Where how can you find such evil? And they'll sometimes tell you a story that's disturbing. Oh boy. Sometimes about Tom Cruise. <laughs> yes, I never. There goes my cameo in Top I had Gun Three. Never heard that before, and it's just. When you think it's about so it, funny. go watch that movie, American Psycho, watch oh. Patrick Bateman, and then think about Tom Cruise, and then all of a sudden, the, the worst part is, he's not wrong. It starts, I've seen this character on somebody's couch on a talk show set, and everybody loved him, but... Uh. But it was also very cringy yeah, all, It's well. almost a performance. Yes. Trying almost. to hide something is exactly what Patrick Bateman is. He's saying through oh, the movie... Boy. 
I'm not human. I know that I'm not human, but I have to pre- you know project myself as being human. So basically, he like came up with Tom Cruise on an interview set to mask this. You know, I'm sorry, Tom Cruise. I really, really am, and fans of Tom Cruise. I'm just repeating what the man said, but also seeing some reality in it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're done. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. You can go there to catch new movies that are out, including whatever new Tom Cruise movie is out. And you, if you're not quite there yet, if you're not quite ready, or you just don't want to see Tom Cruise on a movie, you can go and get some snacks. purchase from the concession stand. Yes, get your snacks, get your icy, and uh, you can come on back when you are feeling comfortable or when there's a movie in that you do want to see. Hey, great popcorn, great ices, great snacks, great times, and uh, when this is truly over, over, movie theaters are going to come back strong. We're going to go get Dave into witness protection <laughs> and wrap this thing up. But I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies. <laughs>